The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Good morning, Mile High, and welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of this morning with us. Sharing Our Stories, brought to you by Tribe Recovery Homes. And my name is Slim, and with me from Tribe Recovery Homes is Tomas Hernandez. Hey, everybody. How you doing this morning? I hope everybody's well, warm, and uh, ready for a great Sunday. Thanks for joining us. Happy Sunday to you, Mile High. Tribe Recovery Homes is a facility there to help people in their recovery from drugs and or alcohol addiction. And this program, Sharing Our Stories, is all about sharing stories of recovery from addiction. Everybody in this room has dealt with addiction to drugs and or alcohol, and we are in our recovery. And we believe that by sharing our stories, we can help somebody out there who might be suffering in their addiction find their pathway to recovery. There are many pathways to recovery and there is no absolute way to do it to to find your recovery. We believe that, you know, what works for you is what you need to get you where you want to be. And so we believe that we should have many different people come on in here, tell you their story of addiction, their road to their recovery, and hopefully we can touch somebody out there and help them find that pathway. Maybe It's a family member of yours. It's a friend of yours. Maybe it's you listening right now. So we want to be here to be an asset to you. And Tribe Recovery Homes is the organization that is the sponsor of this program. And Tomas, tell everybody a little bit about what you guys do with Tribe Recovery Homes. Hey, everybody. Yeah, um, Tribe Recovery Homes is a basically homegrown um, organization, nonprofit organization. for the community, for the people, with a very high emphasis on mental health, addiction, recovery, and reentry. Um, our philosophy is: you uh, you drink too much, you do too many drugs, you're going to end up with a ticket. So we want to we want to get you through that fire. Um, we have a multiple multitude of homes um, for males and females. It's over 18. Um, the program, and uh, we just want to make sure that we can go ahead and. Uh, hit where the rubber hits the road and continue your life make sure that you have a chance to prove yourself in front of the courtrooms not to be incarcerated and if you are incarcerated we have great programming like the guests that we have today that runs that post programming to make sure that you never return um it's all about mental health it's all about recovery it's all about reentry. it's all about love family and that's what tribe means is, is family tribe means family it's nothing too creative out there it's basically keeping it simple we're gonna love you while you don't love yourself and once you get that love it's uh you got to play that forward and that's uh that's us and how many people do you currently have staying within the tribe recovery homes we have over 100 people staying in, in in the homes we have uh two in development right now with a treatment center in boulder colorado also and Mile High, if you want to reach out and learn more about Tribe Recovery Homes, you can go to triberecoveryhomes.com. You can also pick up the phone and give them a call. And we'll give you this information again, but you can give them a call at 720-60-TRIBE. And one of the big things that we say is if, if Tribe Recovery Homes can't help you, they will find an organization that can help you. That's a little bit about who we are, what we do. And this morning, we are welcoming our latest guest, and her name is Ginger Aber. Did I say that right, Aber? Yes. All right, all right. And she's from Lakewood, originally from Colorado Springs. And uh, she's our guest this morning. And the way this program works, Mile High, is we're going to turn this over to Ginger, and we're going to let Ginger share her addiction and share in her recovery and tell her story, because it wouldn't be sharing our stories if she didn't have a story to share with you today. So first, just want to say thank you for being here, Ginger. Thanks for having me. So Ginger, I'm going to turn this over to you. Welcome to sharing our stories with our guest this morning, Ginger Aber from Lakewood. Well, I mean, I guess we were 
wherever you start, it's the beginning, right? So everybody has a beginning to a story. Um, my beginning starts at the very beginning of my life. My life started in trauma. Um, my mom was 16 years old and she was raped and I was the product of that. So in all of this, I have always felt um, some kind of something was missing in my life. and I didn't know what that was. I was, um, I was adopted by an amazing family at 10 weeks old. Um, I have two older brothers who are my parents' biological children and I have a sister who's older also, but she was also adopted, and she's full-blooded Korean, so I have a very diverse family. Um, we were raised in church. You know, I had a great life. I didn't have everything I wanted, but I had everything I needed. And we lived in the old north end of Colorado Springs, so all those old Victorian houses down there. I grew up in one of those, and I had a great life. My dad was a carpenter. My mom was a homemaker. She was always home, like... I would go to school and come home and there would be like homemade cinnamon rolls or homemade bread or, you know, she ran an in-home daycare. But there was just something missing, something always missing. And I always felt like something was missing. You know, my family loved me like I was their very own. I didn't, wasn't treated any differently. I wasn't, I wasn't abused. You know, I grew up in a very religious family, I grew up in church. You know, I had a great life. Um, and so... There's no rhyme or reason for my addiction. My addiction was a choice, and it was curiosity. It started when I was young. My friends were smoking and drinking, you know. Of course, that's what we do when we're kids. We experiment. Um, and friends became very important to me, um, more important than my family. So, like, whenever we had family gatherings, everybody was like, where's Ginger? And I was gone with my friends, always. So I wasn't in very many family photos, um, and so that just became a pattern in my life. Um, friends were everything to me. And it's also something that I, I passed down to my daughter as she grew up. But growing up, you know, in my family, we didn't talk about drugs. We didn't talk about alcohol. We didn't talk about smoking. We didn't talk about sex. We, those were all the said, un, unsaid things that we talked about, you know, didn't talk about. So when I hit my teenage years, of course I was like well, what's really going on, you know? I went to a private school, and I was very sheltered. And I was the first in my family to get in trouble um, and got kicked out of private school. I was the first one not to graduate private school. And I went to public school um, as my freshman year. And it was a whole new world. It was so different. And I experienced, you know, things that I had never seen before, and I, it enticed me. And I was like, ooh, what is this? I want to know. You know, I had a knack of hanging out with all the wrong people, and um, I really got involved with um, all the wrong people when I was 17. I, I knew it all, and I dropped out of school, and I moved out of my house, and I moved in with a bunch of people in a studio apartment and where we, drink, we drank and we partied, and we ran from the cops, and that was the life, and it was great. Um, and then I met my daughter's father and that changed my whole life um, we were together for a year from 17 to 18 and um, I had no idea what hard drugs were I had no idea what that world held but he was a part of it and I still had no clue um, you know at 18 I found out I was pregnant um, and we moved to Texas. This is just the two of us. It was awful. It was the worst decision ever made. Going somewhere where we didn't have any family or any support. And it turned out to be really bad. Um, and that's, that's kind of where all of this began. It's where my addiction began. Um, I was addicted to him. I was addicted to men. I was addicted to the affection and the attention. I thought that's what I needed. And he became my everything, and I cut my family out of my life. My family hated him, and I cut my family out of my life, and he was my world. Um, so when we moved back to Colorado, because we found out I was pregnant, um, and we couldn't do it by, our, by ourselves there, um, we moved in with his grandparents in Colorado Springs, and that's where everything began. Um, he was, like, leaving all hours of the night, I didn't understand, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm not going, where are you going, you know? I'm, I'm, I wake up and he's not there. 
And I'm like, what's wrong with me? What is it? I don't understand. What, what is it about me that doesn't keep you here? What is it that keeps you away? Um, I had to tell my family and his family that I was pregnant because he, he was scared and he didn't want to man up and do it. And his family wanted me to have an abortion. And my family is like, we love you. We'll support you. How do we help you? And I was like, I don't know. And I don't care. Because all I wanted was him. Um, at the age, right before my 19th birthday, I had my daughter. She was born on December 26, 1996. Best thing that ever happened to me. Joy of my life. Um, and my whole world changed. But that's where I decided that I wanted to try what he was doing. I wanted to see what kept him away from me because he was dealing drugs and he was out running the streets and he was out doing all the things that he was doing. And I just wanted to know, what is it that kept him away from me? And I tried methamphetamines for the first time. And it took me for a ride. Like, when they say that meth is the devil, like, I fully 100% believe that and I live that. And that became my world. And I just wondered what else I could do. It made me feel like a superstar. Like I could be a mom and I could work and I could be a housewife and I could clean and I could do all the things that I was supposed to do to try and keep this man happy. And it still, we weren't happy. And that's when the abuse began. And uh, we were together for 14 years. Um, for 10 of it, it was very abusive. Um, there were times where I thought I was going to die. And there were times that I could have died. And my, I confided in my sister what was going on with me because I wanted everything to stop. I wanted the craziness to stop. I wanted the abuse to stop. And I didn't know how. And she told my parents, and my parents showed up at my doorstep. And were like, you and your daughter are coming with us, and we're not leaving without you. And that was the first time that I got sober. Um, when my daughter was one and all of this my daughter lived through all this trauma and it was awful um, so I moved in with my parents when my daughter was one and I got clean and I did not realize how horrible I looked you know in our addictions we see ourselves as cute when we're all sucked up and there's nothing left of us and I didn't realize that I looked so bad and my family were just like we love you and we just want to help you. And my family does not understand addiction. Um, I'm the black sheep of the family. And they didn't know how to help me. And I didn't know how to let them help me. And I didn't know how to let go of this man. So I went back. Thinking that if I just loved him a little harder, I could, I could fix him. You know, if, if you if you're, have broken on your, tattooed on your forehead, I'm like, please just let me love you. Please just let me fix you. And that's been a pattern in my life as well. And so I went back, and it was worse. And there was times where we were in our apartment, and we would be fighting, and my daughter would just get between us, and she'd be like, it's my fault, just to stop us. And you would think that was enough, and it wasn't. You know, and her whole fix-all to all of this was, Mom, you can just move into my room and live with me, and Dad can just live in your room, and we can still just be a, ha a happy family. It's going to be fine. You know, she would pick me up off the floor after he would beat me, and she would kiss all my bruises. As she would wipe the blood from my nose. And I never really realized how much suffering she did in silence and just tried to love me through this. So, in 2001, he was raided, and he went to prison for the first time. And I realized that that was going to be the beginning of the rest of my life. Like, I was going to be able to let go of him, and I was going to be able to be a mom to my daughter. But I didn't realize that when he left, he left me with nothing. He left me with all the bills and all the people still knocking on our doors and a lifestyle that I was addicted to. And I had to do something to fix that. And so even though I had never dealt drugs at the time, I saw him do what he did and I just 
tried to mimic that. And I was good at it. I was good at it. And in two, the early 2000s, like, it was hard for a girl coming up in a man's world because men were drug dealers then. Women weren't. And it wasn't an okay thing in society then. But I was good at it. And I did, I did really well. As I, all I was trying to do was feed my addiction and feed my daughter and keep a roof over her head. I didn't really realize that I had more qualities to myself or that I was better than that because that's all I knew. And so in 20, 2007, I caught my first dope case. Um, and I was used as a mule. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the feeling of being alone because of all the power and the, the stature that I had being who I was, um, I really wasn't who I thought I was. And I was left alone. And nobody was there for me. Nobody put money on my books. Nobody did time with me. Nobody wrote me. The only people who wrote me were my parents. Because when I called them from jail, I was like, I need you to go get my daughter. She's at home. And I wasn't even in Colorado Springs. I was in Grand Junction, Colorado. And so they went and got her, and her grandparents took care of her. And I would get letters, and I get phone calls. And in 2007, I found out that my mom had um, cancer and that it was not curable. Um, that it had moved into a lymph node in her spine and no doctor would touch it. And that she asked the doctors to just release her and she wanted to go home and be with her husband and and just live out the rest of her life the way, that way. And I was like, there's no way that I'm sitting in this jail cell and I'm never going to see my mom again. And so that's really when I started believing in a higher power. Like, I know I've had a higher power looking over me my whole entire life from the beginning of my life. Like, there's no rhyme or reason why I should be on this earth other than the fact that I have a higher power who sees me and who knows me and has a plan for me. But in 2007, I really surrendered, and I started in county jail. I started going to AA meetings, and um, those were my first touches with 12-step programs. I did Celebrate Recovery, I did AA, I did every group I could possibly do when I was in county jail. And I had a DA stand up on my behalf after I wrote a letter stating that there's nothing that I can give back to society that I haven't already taken. There's nothing. But given a second chance, I would make a difference. And then the DA stood up on my behalf and asked the judge, who was the hardest judge in Mesa County, to give me a second chance and he granted me probation. First time ever being in trouble, I got probation, and I didn't take it lightly at first. You know, when you get out, you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do everything different. And nothing's gonna be the same. My dad came and picked me up with my daughter. We drove home to Colorado Springs, but nobody prepared me for what I was gonna see when I walked through the door of my parents' house to see my mom. And she was half the shell of herself. She didn't know who I was and it killed me. You know, I dropped out of high school, I didn't get my GED, and it was kind of a running joke with my family, like, oh yeah, mom, I'll get my GED before you die. And here she is dying in front of me, and I'm like, okay, let's do this. So I got my GED, and I have a picture with my mom. Um, it's probably one of my last pictures with her, with my daughter, with my GED. She was so happy, and I started college, and I was doing good. I was doing amazing, but when you live in a town where everybody knows your name and they know who you are and they know what you've done, it's really hard to maintain a different lifestyle, especially when you don't have any support other than your family who doesn't really understand addiction to begin with. And what do you do? Start hanging out with the same people, start doing the same things, start blowing off school, start saying, oh easy money's faster and I really need some money right now 
I'll just do a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And next thing you know, you're full blown back into your addiction, doing the same thing you were doing that you promised you wouldn't do. And sure enough, within a year, I was up back in county jail on the same charges, basically. And again, had to call my parents and be like, I need you to pick up my daughter, she's at home, and I'm in jail. And through all of this, my daughter never complained, just wanted to be with me. You know, she grew up getting herself up for school, getting me up to get her to take her to school, making her own breakfast, making her own lunch, all that stuff. And still here I am in my addiction, and I'm not seeing or hearing the things that she's saying when she's not saying them. So again, my higher power steps in, and a DA stands up on my behalf and says, I really see something in this young lady. I really think we need to give her a second chance. And they put me on probation. So I'm on two probation cases now. <laughs> you know, and they're only going to give you probation for so long. So if you think you're falling through the cracks, you're not. You're just hanging yourself. And so I do this probation case, and I, I'm, I'm not happy to say, but I'm happy to say I'm a professional probationer. <laughs> I did probation for 13 years. Um, you know, I did a 10-year case, turned a 10-year case into a 13-year case. So once again, here I am sober, and I'm like, this isn't enough, and I need to go to rehab. So I go out to Los Animas, Colorado. I go to a rehab called Rosada. I did a little 33-day inpatient program, and I get out, and it works for me, and I stay sober for a year. I'm like, man, there's something about this. And they told me, you stay sober for a year, you come back and talk to us, we'll give you a job. I'm like, really? Okay. So I go and I interview for a job and they hire me. Knowing that I'm on felony probation, they're like, it's fine, we got you. So I pack up my daughter and I get her out of Colorado Springs and we move to Los Animas. <laughs> and I start this job at Rosada and it was so fulfilling. Like, even in my addiction, I help people. Like, you didn't have groceries, but you needed some drugs, so here's some drugs, and let's go get some groceries. It's okay. You know? That was that kind of person. All right, let's just get high together, and I'll go buy you some food. Your baby needs some diapers? I got you. I was always that person helping somebody. Oh, you want to get sober? I'm not sober, but I'll help you get sober. You know, I'm going to get high, but you can't get high. And it worked. It was weird. And people respected that. So I go to Rosada and I start this job and it's so fulfilling and I love it and I start getting my, going for my CAC certification and I get all the classes done and Dora changes the law that you can't be on any kind of paper and get your cert and be a certified addiction counselor. And Rosada had a law that you had to have that certification within 13 months of your employment or else they couldn't keep you. And I was right at 13 months. And they fired me. And I didn't know what to do. And I had some families who really, really, really loved me. Um, and they moved me to Pueblo. And I just fell right back into my addiction, like you wouldn't believe. And my mom passes away. And I just fell even further. And I cut my family out of my life, and I was like, I can't, I'm not doing this to you guys. I don't, I'm not bringing this to you guys. I love you, but I'm just not. And I went for a ride. And all the sobriety that I had under my belt just went out the window. My daughter was like, I'm not doing this with you, Mom. Either you're going to be sober or you're not. And I had all kinds of people coming in and out of our house. And somebody I trusted the most took my daughter and got her high for the first time. And I was just like, are you serious? And she got high because she wanted to know what was keeping me away from her, which is the reason why I got high the first time. I wanted to know what was keeping him away from me. And as the cycle continues, I'm just looking at it like, I can't really believe this is my life and this is happening again. But it still didn't stop me, because we know how addiction is. 
You know, there's a lot of in-between stuff there that I could talk about, but I won't. It's a lot of trauma and a lot of things that I had to work through in my life. And if you're out there and you have this trauma, just know that there's people out there that will listen and they'll help. You just got to find them or you got to ask for that help. So this addiction problem and this relapse, you know, relapse has been a part of my story my whole life. And this relapse lasted a really long time. Sent my daughter away to Job Corps so that she could get better and I could continue what I was doing and she didn't have to watch me kill myself. And I thought that was the best thing that could ever happen to us. Um, and it was the worst because it left me alone. It was just me. And I didn't have anything to hold on to and I didn't have anything to kind of keep me grounded. And I just went balls to the wall. And in those times, a girl coming up in a man's world was not respected and I had a lot of people who wanted me dead. I had a lot of people who tried to kill me. I had a lot of people who loved me, who would keep me safe and who would move me from place to place and who would protect me, but that all has to end at some time, right? And unbelievably, there's a reason why I'm here today and I'm still here today and I, I, I can't fathom that. I can't fathom why I'm still here. Um, so my daughter's father got out. We tried this again. He got out of prison. We tried it again. It was bad. It was all bad. And one day he held a 45 five feet from my head and pulled the trigger. And it missed me by like an inch. And I knew that day I was going to die. I knew I was. I had never seen anybody with just black eyes. Like his, his stare was just blank and it was black and it was like he wasn't even there. And I knew that if I didn't get away from him, he was going to kill me. And that was going to be the end of me. So I left, and I disappeared. And I got a little bit sober. You know, I wasn't using as much, and I justified that as, a, I'm not using as much, it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm going to be all right. But it always ended up in worse and worse. My addiction was worse and worse every time I went back, every time. In 2014, um, I met a really amazing man who was just getting out of prison and he was in Concord. Um, and by passing, I was dealing drugs to somebody he knew. And he looked at me, he was like, is this really what you do? Is this really all you're about? Because I see so much more in you. I was like, what? What? <laughs> you don't want to ride my coattails and get on this ride and, you know spend my money and sell drugs with me and be Bonnie and Clyde. You want to do that? He's like, no, nah, that's not what I want a part of my life. Oh, okay. What's your name? <laughs> um, in 2015, I married that man and we've been married for eight years. We just celebrated our wedding anniversary on the 9th of December or 9th of January, sorry. And um, he got me sober. He was like, it's either the drugs or me, and what do you want? Because if it's the drugs, I'm going to walk out right now. And he did. He left. And I was like, what? No. And I went and got him, and I sat on my porch. I looked at my pipe, and I was like, I pouted. I threw a temper tantrum, and I threw it in the trash. And I got sober. And I was sober for four and a half years. We ran a motel together. We did everything together. We were attached at the hip, and... It was great. You know, he didn't hurt me. He just wanted to love me. He loved my daughter. And he'd been through trauma, too. And he understood and he got it. You know what I mean? And things were good. Life was good. And it was crazy. After four and a half years of sobriety with him, I just looked at him one day and I was like, I want to get high. He looked at me, he's like, me too. And it was over. And we were ripping and running together. And it was awful. <laughs> um, 
in that time, we he has three sons, and his youngest son had been adopted out to his dad and stepmom, and they had separated, and um, stepmom had caught a DHS case in North Dakota and asked us to come up there. And we were like, okay. He hadn't seen his son since he was a baby, and he was four. He was three. And we went to North Dakota, and we met the DHS people, and they closed the case the day we left. And four days later, his stepmom dropped his son off on a, at our doorstep and was like, here. And we had a son for 15 months. At that time, we had no business having a kid. We weren't doing the right thing. But we didn't know what else to do, and she just disappeared. <laughs> and we knew that D if DHS had ever found out that he was with us, they would come and take him because my husband had no rights to him. And for 15 months, we lived in fear. But we had to support it. We had to support him. We had to support our family. Um, and neither one of us were working. We were just hustling. Our worst nightmare came true. I mean, stepmom came back into our life. We got him enrolled in school. It was cool. But DHS found out. And he was taken from us. He was ripped from us. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't want him going back there, but we didn't want him to not be with us. And so we hid our addiction. We, we hid our problem. And we acted like everything was fine. And we fooled DHS. We fooled ourselves in thinking that we could do this. Um, but we won. We won allocation of parental rights to him and we got sober again. In that time, I had done some stuff um, for my baby daddy, <laughs> for the man who I spent so many years fearing, and he was in prison, and I answered some phone calls, and I relayed some messages, and um, I had a warrant put out for me for um, introduction of contraband to a facility. I had no idea I had that warrant still on probation, going to see my probation officer, everything's good. I go in and they arrest me. And we're fighting this case with his son. And I was like, God, what do I do? And I did what everybody else does. And I was just, I just surrendered. I just surrendered and I said, I can't do this alone. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Um, and again, I got off on probation. And we got him, and I loved him. And with all this money that we made hustling, we started a business with a business partner. Um, we started an auto body and paint shop. And it was good until it wasn't, because of course this is a person from my past, and uh, he took everything from us. We built the shop, we got it going, everything was good, and he, I don't know what happened, was in a bad mood one day, he went left, he called me out my name. He and my husband got in a fist fight. And, like, my husband's Harley was in that shop. We had vehicles in that shop. All my husband's tools were in that shop. And he locked us out. And all our money was invested in that. And I was like, I looked at him and I said, what do we do? He looked at me and said, we do what we always do. And we went back. Again into a lifestyle that we had no business being in because we'd been out of for so long. We didn't have the clientele, we didn't have the people, but we figured quick money because we were about to lose our house and everything that we'd worked so hard for. And this time it wasn't, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and I've had these little petty cases and I've had people stand up on my behalf. But within seven days our house was raided Within seven days, our house was raided, and his son was there, and my daughter was living with us, and I didn't, we didn't know what to do. <laughs> his son was taken from us, we lost our house, we lost our family. Um, he did the man thing, he manned up, and he took all the charges. He was like, it was all me. They didn't know anything, because my daughter was arrested with us. It was me, my daughter, and my husband arrested. And he was like, they didn't know anything, and they let me and my daughter go. Um, but I have priors. 
you know. And the police aren't gonna. They're like, ah, this chick doesn't. She, it's not that she doesn't know anything. She's got priors. Um, so on May 27th, our house was raided, and that was the day I got sober. May 27th, 2018. I did not use after that. I made it a point that I was not going to use, and I was going to do something different. And if I actually didn't go to jail, my life was going to be different. Um, I bonded him out on a $50,000 bond, and things were good for about 30 days, and they put a warrant out for me, and they arrested me with our son in the car. Again. So not only was he involved in this raid, but then all of a sudden, he's, I, we're going to pick up Dad from work, and I'm being pulled over and arrested again with this little boy and taken to jail and they put a $150,000 bond on me and I was like there's no way I'm bonded out I'm here and I was like I know I'm going to prison I'm going to prison and that's all that's going to happen to me and I told my husband I was like I'm going to prison but I'm telling you I'm not leaving prison until I do TC and I'm not coming out without a career because I'm not doing this again. I'm not coming back. Um, DHS got involved. They took our son. And my husband went left and ended up back in jail in 30 days. And we made a pact that we were going to do this together. Um, in October, October 9th of 2018, I was sentenced to eight years in prison. And he took 12 years. And we were like, okay, here we go. And um, I'm, I went to prison and I told everybody, my case managers, everything, I'm not leaving until you put me in TC and I leave with a career. I'm not leaving these gates until it happens. I didn't know at that time that the career that I had started when I was in prison wasn't going to be the career that I was coming out with. So my case manager's like, okay, what can I do for you? I'm like, I need a parenting class because I'm going through this DHS case. I need a parenting class so I can try and keep my son and all of this. And I need a career and I need TC and I need help and I, I, I need it. And I'm not leaving. She's like, okay. So I took a parents on a mission course while I was in prison. Um, it didn't help in our case. We ended up losing um, our son. Um, and... I was broken. I was broken. I never lost a child. Never thought that this would happen to me. I was always smarter than that. And even though this little boy wasn't mine, he was mine. He called me mom. And I let him down. And he'd been through so much. And I made it a point to say, okay, God, I'm not allowing anything that this little boy has gone through to be for nothing. So please, just help me. I got into TC and I got into cosmetology while I was in prison. Um, I did really well. I was really good with hair. Never knew that. Um, I'm not very girly, so I would have never thought that. Um, but I love doing cosmetology. And I was like, cool, I can do this. COVID hit. Shut prison down. Shut the classes down took away everything that we possibly had in, in, in prison, all our, our, all our groups and anything we could go to, gym, everything, took everything. And there was this big rumor, like, my TC therapist was like, you guys need to call your families and you need to come up with a parole plan because you guys are leaving. I'm in there on a DF-1. My charges are too high. I don't... I don't qualify for any of the time off. I was like, I'm not going anywhere, lady. I'm going to be right here. She's like, Ms. Aber, you need to call your family. Let me back up a little bit. So I haven't talked to my family in 10 years. My family found out I was in prison. How? I still don't really know um, because I didn't tell them. Um, I haven't had a relationship with them in 10 years. And my oldest brother... Um, wrote me a letter on my birthday and sent it to me and said, I know you're in there. I love you. I want to come visit you. Do you want to see me? And my oldest brother's 10 years older than me, and I have had no relationship with him my whole entire life because by the time I was fun to do anything with, he was out of the house. And I was like, okay, because I needed somebody. I was in there alone. I didn't have anybody. 
and my oldest brother and I rekindled a relationship while I was in prison. He came religiously every week to see me. Even got locked in the prison like twice, um, all day because the prison locked down and was still willing to stay to see me and come back the next week. And um, my support system started. I found a new relationship with my family member that I never thought I could ever have. I always thought my family hated me, they didn't want anything to do with me because of my addiction. And it was quite the opposite. You know, that was, that was me. That was my stuff. And um, so I called my brother and I was like, hey bro, like, I don't think this is gonna happen, but if this happens, can I parole to your house? And without a second, he was like, absolutely. And I was like, okay, cool. Two days later, I got a call from the parole officer and she, he was like, Ms. Aber, do you have a, parole, a solid parole plan? I said, I absolutely do, sir. He said, perfect, you're up for parole. On an eight-year sentence, I should have done three years. This was at 19 months. 19 months, I'm getting paroled, are you serious? I don't qualify for any of this, why am I being paroled? Oh, you have asthma, we gotta get you out of here. Oh, okay. Within two weeks of that phone call to my brother and him saying yes, he would be my parole plan, I was out of prison. I was let out of prison with two warrants for my two probation cases, a felony warrant that I was looking at eight to 16 years on and a misdemeanor warrant. And I walked out of those prison gates. I should have gone to a detainer, they should have picked me up, but because of COVID, nothing happened. And I went to Colorado Springs for 35 days and I could have done it there. Like my brother's sober, he's never done drugs or he's not an alcoholic or anything like that. And I could have done it there and I was like, I need something more. I love you, but I need something more. And I told my parole officer, I said, sir, I need you to send me to the Pier 1 program. And he said, what, are you crazy? I said, I absolutely am. I need something more. Um, so in June of 2020, I was taken to the Pier 1 program by my brother and dropped off. There was many tears and many emotions. And I started my journey in recovery. I did an 18-month program um, of a lot of self-reflection, a lot of people telling me about myself, and a lot of monad, a lot of staring at a wall. Um, and I had therapists there that poured into my life and made me feel worthy. I had therapists where I could talk about my stuff and leave all my stuff with them. That way, when I walked out of those doors, I didn't have to carry that baggage with me. Like, I didn't have to do that. And that's a lot of the reason why I kept going back to drugs was I kept, I had that baggage on me all the time, like, and, and a no sense of self-worth and no sense of loving myself. I didn't know any of that. And here I am in this program in a town that I don't really know, in a city I don't really know, and I'm just like, I don't care. I have to do this. Um, I had to do it for my daughter. I had to do it for myself. I had to do it for my family. My daughter was following my footsteps day for day, like literally following my footsteps day for day. She um, was doing, she got really hooked on fentanyl. And so every day in prison, I didn't know if I was gonna get that phone call if my daughter was dead or not. Like I, that was my biggest fear. And I knew that if I'd made this change, like she would follow. And that's always how she's been. Like. You, you do, I see what you do. If it's what I think it's okay, I'm gonna do it too. And so I went to this program. I called her before I got out of prison. I said, I love you, but if you're still messing up, I, I can't mess with you. I, I'm gonna love you, but I'm gonna love you from way back here for right now, but just watch what I do. And I stuck to that. And I went to this program and I met these amazing women um, who in a little later in the story will be full circle, um, and these women did not allow me to give up. They did not allow me to cop out, and they did not allow me to fly under the radar, like I'm used to doing. And um, I, don't like, I don't like girls, like I don't hang out with girls, most of my friends are guys, and I'm here I am in the women's prison, and then I'm in a house of 16 women, and we're stuck there because of COVID. 
we can't go anywhere and we have to learn to get along and we have to learn to love each other and we have to learn to like each other and I'm just like I don't know if I want to do this and we learned and I love those women and those women are still a part of my life and I learned how to talk about my stuff and I learned how to be okay with who I was and I learned how to live in my truth like there's nothing that anybody can't tell me about myself that I don't already own and I'm okay with that and you can't tell me any different you can't tell me about that because that's not gonna that's not gonna knock me off my square anymore because I own that and it's the most freedom I've ever felt in my life and I learned that I like to help people so when I left the Haven I started working for a program called um, Bridge House Ready to Work. I was a house manager there. And I just basically babysat. That's what you do there. You kind of babysit. Um, people who are coming in off the streets, who have addictions, who are trying to live a sober life and learn how to work. And I learned I love that. And I heard about this Recovery Coach Academy. I was like, okay, I'm going to get involved. So I took the Recovery Coach Academy and um, one of my good friends, Jacques, worked for Tribe Recovery Homes. And I was like, dude, what do you do? And he told me all the things that he did, he did. And I was like, I want in. How do I get in? He's like, you need to hit up Tomas. <laughs> you need to hit up Tomas Hernandez. And I said, what, you mean on Facebook or something? He's like, yep, just hit him up on Facebook. And so I, I got in touch with Tomas. And I was like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing, but I kind of just want in. How do I do this? I set up an interview and I went and interviewed and um, they were like, you want to be a peer navigator? I said, I don't know what that involves, but yeah, let's do this. So I became a peer navigator for Tribe and within two weeks, Tomas was like, you, do you want a promotion? I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, you can go work for PPC at the Denver City Jail. I was like, you want me to go work at a jail? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. So I went and I got this really cool badge that let me go in and out of jail without having to go through the metal detector. And I was like, damn, this is cool. <laughs> this is super cool. And I got to go in and I got to talk to people who were coming out of jail on the uh, through pretrial services and just be like, hey, man, like, what's your plan? What are you doing? Can I help you? Do you need some bus passes? Do you need a coat? Need a place to stay? Because I know a place. And that was my job, was to bring him into tribe. And it was very fulfilling. And I was like, I love this. I love this. And I did that uh, for about six months, I think. I worked the overnight shift for about six months. And it was rough, but I did it. And then um, they brought me back to tribe to help um, resituate the women's program. I was like, perfect, let's do this. And crazy, crazy story. Things just happened in the universe, and all of a sudden there was an opening for the DOC program. And I was like, what? I, you mean you want me to try and run the DOC program? I don't think I can do that, Tomas. And he looked at me, and he's like, you got this. I believe in you, and I know you can do this. I was like, okay. And I started working on the wages side of tribe, which is work and gain education skill, uh, education and employment skills. Um, and it's a DOC program um, for people coming out of DOC to help them with reentry, help them job search, um, resume building, get into classes, whether college, training, um, anything like that. Anything you can think of to be successful when they come out of prison. And I'm like, I didn't have that when, that, when I got out of prison because it was COVID. I was like, okay, I can do this. And then he was like, no, you got to go in the prisons. What? You want me to go back into the prisons? Okay. Um, and the first time that I entered a prison, when the doors closed behind me, I... It was the weirdest feeling. Like, I was so apprehensive. And I was like, are you guys going to let me out? Are you going to let me go when I'm done? Really? Um, and I went in and I did my first inreach. Um, 
in DW, in Denver Women's, where I had been for, I had been in that prison for a month. And it was the most empowering thing I've ever done in my life. Like, those are my people. The incarcerated population are my people, and I have a passion for them. And I, I know what it's like to be in there, and I know what it's like to be released and have that apprehension of, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to do this. I don't know where to go. I don't have anywhere to go. It's just need help. And so I get to go in there, and I get to help my people. And I get to tell them about my story. And I get to tell them that they don't have to go back. Because this day and age, they don't have to. It's a choice. If they go back, it's because they choose to. Because there's so much out here to help them. And so many people who want to help them, it's, it's, it's insane. And just to give them hope. Like I went from a dope dealer to a hope dealer. Complete opposite of what I used to be. And I'm good at it. I mean, it's so, it's so empowering to look someone in the eye and be like, I got you. And when I say it, I mean it, I got you. No matter where you are, here's my card, call me, I got you. And if I'm not there, I know people there who can help you. And it's just bloomed, our program has just bloomed. Um, we went from almost not having a DOC program to um, having a very, very well-oiled program. Um, I have a great, I have a great partner. You know, he is the techie guy. I, they call him the dad, and I'm the mom. Like he's the stern one, and I'm like, oh, I love you. It's okay, <laughs> and it works well for us. Um, I'm blessed to work for a company that believes in me. Um, with people who are in recovery and they get it, who no judgment, you know, I can be like, hey man, like I'm not feeling today, can I go home? And they're like, yeah, it's cool, I got you. But even more blessed to work with the women who poured into my life when I went to that program. And now they work with me at Tribe. And we work side by side. It's a full circle. And it's, you know, if you don't believe in a higher power, that's okay. You don't have to believe in a higher power right now. But know that there is a higher power out there that has got his hands on you. And if you're on this earth, you're on this earth for a reason. And you're not going to leave this earth until that reason is done. Period. And if, you're, if it's addiction right now that you're battling, like, come see us. Come see us. Like, we got you. When Tomas says tribe is a family, that's exactly what it is. It's a family. It's love. It's support. It's everything that you've never had before, and it's so foreign, and, it, and people don't know how to embrace it, but once they do, they're like, wow, they have this aha moment, and I get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that aha moment of that change and people really wanting to live life. And I get to be a part of that, and I'm so blessed you know, I've been sober for five, it'll be five years in May. And I, I don't have to use today. I can walk through my stuff. You know, I've gone some, through some really rough times um, these last couple of years by my, out here by myself. My husband was in prison for 12 years. He just got out December 20th. Like we just got reunited. So we've been married longer apart than we have been together. And we walk through that, right? And I went through some really hard times these last two years out here by myself, but I walked through that. I didn't have to pick up and use or, you know, a substance or a powder or whatever, that, whatever it is to make me feel better. I just had to get my butt in a seat in a meeting and talk about it with people who I know care about me. Go to con some conventions, like I've been to NA conventions in New Mexico, um, which was amazing. Um, that's like my new thing is I'm going to different NA conventions in different states now. Like, I love it. I love it. And, and it, if NA is not your thing, like, there's other pathways. There's other ways to do this. Like, it's not a cookie-cutter thing. Like, what works for you may not work for the next person. But I know what works is sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And we all have a story to tell. And none of us should be ashamed of our stories and none of us should be ashamed of our past. And I get to teach people today 
that your past, even though as cliche as it sounds, is what made is what made you who you are today. And you shouldn't be ashamed of that. You just got to learn how to talk about it. You got to learn how to be okay with who you are so that everybody else is okay with who you are. You know, I get to pull people's CBI records for them and give them to them. Be like, this is what everybody sees you as. Everybody sees you as this piece of paper right here. No matter how many pages it is, that's what they see. Now let's tell them who you really are. Let's learn how to talk about that. And it's, it's amazing to see the people just flip. It's amazing to see the participants flip and be like, yeah, you're right. Let's learn how to talk about that. So you were incarcerated for 20 years. You have a gap in your resume, obviously. You worked for the state of Colorado. What did you do? I worked for the state of Colorado. I was a maintenance, tex- a maintenance tec- technician. That's on my resume. I use that stuff. I'm not ashamed of that. It's not what happened. It's how you word it. Empowering people is empowering myself. And empowering myself helps me empower people. And that's my story today. Thank you so much, Ginger. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, she is. Yes, she you is. are awesome. My, our guest has been Ginger Aber from Colorado Springs, sharing her story here on Sharing Our Stories. If you would like to reach out to the people from Tribe Recovery Homes, Tomas Hernandez is here. Tomas, you find amazing people. I don't know. I, I, I think it's just it's a pathway of recovery that just happens. It's more than you find amazing people. I think everybody is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, it's a. Uh, I use the word esoteric a lot because it's basically that's what. It's divine intervention through a higher power with me, and I'm not going to get all, Churchman Charlie this early this morning <laughs> on a Sunday, but yeah, um, it seems to put together. If you if you're really paying attention to her story. It's never the end. That's right. You know what I mean? It's just never the end. Unfortunately, yes, we do have family out there that it was the end. But while you're breathing, you got a chance, and you got a chance to do some things that, man, sometimes I just look in the mirror and be like, did that just happen? Yeah, Yeah, it did. Yeah, Yeah, it did. It just happened, man. Yeah, so, um, man, Ginger, we are honored to have you on this show. We are honored to have you family and tribe family and recovery you know like (laughs) tribe is not the end all be all for everybody but for people like you involved with us in our family it makes it that much easier and that much brighter for the people that do choose us it's also the same thing that you might be bigger one day and you might and absolutely i do believe that there's there's a, another plateau that could be bigger than tribe and we're going to love you through that if that happens yeah you know what i mean because we want everybody to sort of have their dreams we have a lot of people that have a lot of talent in recovery and we would never hold them by their leg just to stay because there's always a turn for somebody you know mm-hmm. there's always a turn for somebody but right now ginger and elijah the truth doc our programming, you know, we got honored today by our uh, esteemed grantees, the Latino Coalition. Um, and we, because of Ginger and Elijah, we have people coming from all the way from the East Coast to talk to her about how she did it. And these are people that work for a governor in another in another state. You know what I mean? If, if you want to talk about some miracles happening, you know, this uh, these two went in jail and came out with golden nuggets to spread around all over the place. You got DOC people in, in in college right now, in jobs, in apartments, getting their kids back, driving cars legally, you know what I mean? Achieving about the ownership. I just I was ear jacking her today and she's talking about how how people get mortgages. Do you want to get your own home? You know what I mean? That's what that's what it's about. But you know, I'm looking at this time here, and I need to be quiet. <laughs> Hand it over. But I mean, because I could talk an hour, two hours, three hours about Ginger alone. Ginger, I want to thank you again for being our guest this morning. Mahai, this program is sharing our stories. We're here each Sunday at 7 a.m. If you want to reach out to Tribe, the number is 720-60-Tribe. 
Once again, that's 720-60-TRIBE. You can also find them online at Tribe Recovery Homes. If Tribe can't help you, they will find someone who will. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time this Sunday morning. Have a wonderful Sunday. Seize this day. Make it the best day possible. And uh, hopefully you come and join us again next week right here, 7 a.m. for sharing our stories. Thank you and have a wonderful morning.